This last Saturday night, I arrived home again. I've been on the, the road for the last two weeks, uh, teaching and going through training. And it's always a delight to come home. And what I noticed yesterday, Sunday, as I was kind of arriving back home, is I started to get into this frenetic, busy pace. And I remember I was doing this and that. I was doing some laundry. I was doing some dishes. And then there was just this moment of noticing that and stopping. And in that stopping, I really had this, this thought, this thought, this very important thought. I actually don't want to live this way. That was an important moment because it was the moment where I could begin again. And it wasn't like I stopped doing the laundry and the dishes. <laughs> that wasn't the point. What the point was is what was my internal relationship to what I was doing? And a deep commitment to uh, doing that in a different way. Kind of fits in one of the my, my intentions for this year is to really hone in on making this spiritual path, this practice, this exploration, come into the house I live in. Because I think sometimes that's where I see it slip. It's easier when I'm teaching or leading retreats or doing retreats. And what I've noticed is what I need to do is I need to begin again and again and again. And just since yesterday morning, this beginning again has happened a lot. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm really grateful for it. And in that beginning again, what happens is what I'm going to call, what emerges is simply a broader way of listening, being present, but I'm listening more broadly to what's going on inside and how I'm moving through my life. And tonight, I w what I want to share with you is this, this practice of beginning again and how important it is. And also how, when we begin again, how we stop, like I, I mentioned, as I did in the kitchen, how uh, we can move into this broader way of listening. And I want to emphasize that I feel that these two points, beginning again and, and cultivating a broader way of listening, I feel like are, are very important as we move into this new year. They're important individually, like the example that I gave of myself. And you might notice how it's important for your life if you're really interested in a different way of living, a different way of being in this world. But I want to point out, I feel like it's also important collectively in terms of moving into this new year. Last year, one thing that we could see was marked uh, marked last year was this uh, this issue of race that became so prominent around what happened in Ferguson, Staten Island, and so many other places, and the reactions and the responses and the arguments and the discussions that are now hopefully and will continue to be at the forefront of our discussion in this country. this issue of race, of racism, of how marginalization can happen in ways that we might not notice all the time. 
And then just recently in this new year, uh, in Paris, Charlie Hebdo, the killings that happened there. Navigating violence, but also navigating difference. It's a broad thing. For example, I have a friend who was, um, she was born in Lebanon. When these things happened, when these things happened, she's r again frightened to live in this country, being someone who identifies as Muslim. It's not a way of condoning what happens in Paris, but it's also this, th this complex way of how do we move forward? How do I move forward internally as a different way of being? How do we move forward collectively around these issues that, that, that arise around violence, around race, around difference? How do you begin again, both individually and collectively? How do you broadly listen to these issues? And how do you broadly listen moment to moment in your life? I want to share with you um, another beginning as a way of shedding light on this. And it's, it's the beginning of a text called the Dhammapada. There's a collection of small texts, the Kutika Nikaya, um, in early Buddhism. The Kutika Nikaya really means a collection of small texts. And one of these is the Dhammapada. And the Dhammapada is, is actually one of the most well-known um, uh, books in, in Buddhism and in early Buddhism. And as I share this with you, I just w want you to reflect also on that this is the beginning. Many spiritual traditions um, begin in different places, and I think all of them have value. But when you think about where the Buddha's beginning in this text, I find it striking. This is what he says. He says, all experience is preceded by the heart, ruled by the heart, made of the heart. If you speak or act with a corrupted heart, then suffer suffering follows you as the wheel of the cart follows the track of the ox that pulls it. All experience is preceded by the heart, ruled by the heart, made of the heart. If you speak or act with a calm, bright heart, then contentment follows you like a shadow that never leaves. So again, all experience is preceded by the heart, ruled by the heart, made of the heart. If you speak or act with a corrupted heart or a heart that is unskillful, you could say, then suffering follows you, follows you as the wheel of the cart follows the track of the ox that pulls it. All experience is preceded by the heart, ruled by the heart, made of the heart. If you speak or act with a calm, bright heart, then contentment follows you like a shadow that never, is, never leaves. I find this a striking place to begin a text. It's not beginning with um, in the beginning about a creator God, which again might have its value. Where is it beginning? It's beginning ab about the quality of our minds and hearts and how it influences what we experience in this world. 
because I feel the Buddha is pointing here that, that when I cultivate this heart, this mind in a different way, namely in one of the things we do in meditation by opening up to being present, then uh, I, I start to touch in upon on this path that leads to freedom, that leads to liberation. But it's within this heart, it's within this mind, and how it's relating to experience informs experience. And some of you, I'm sure, got interested in meditation or in this path because of that, right? You, you begin to notice how our minds in some ways creates experience. And then once you start to become curious about that, to explore that, there's a gateway towards liberation. It, it's really quite radical. And that's when I begin again, when I stop in, in my kitchen, when I'm walking down the street, when I'm washing dishes, when I stop, that's what I become curious about, is it's what am, I, what am I broadly listening to? What's the quality of mind right now? Oh, interesting, there's some agitation in my body right now. I don't need to get rid of it or change it, I just need to simply experience that and to slow down with that. Oh, that agitation is fueling this, this frenetic behavior. It's such a, an amazing thing simply to feel that and to allow for a different kind of behavior to arise. I don't even to change anything, it's just the noticing. And, and the Buddha strongly emphasizes this. It, actually, the, all, the, all the quotes I'm going to use is, is tonight is from the Dhammapada, because I I think it's a really striking collection. Further on, he says, whatever an enemy may do to an enemy or haters to one to another, far worse is the harm from one's <coughs> own wrongly directed mind. Again, uh, uh, powerful words. What harms me the most? It's when my mind is, is unskillfully directed. That is something that I should have more concern about, the Buddha is saying, than what one of my enemies might do to me. That that's, that's what I want to, to be aware of. And I know of experience that. Have, have you ever experienced the suffering that arises from your wrongly directed mind? I know I have. <laughs> I'm in that camp. And it can feel like it's only the world out there that's doing it to me. But it's, it's different when I can see that. And the cool thing is, is when I see that, then there's, there's a possibility for liberation. It's very empowering. <coughs> and then he goes on, he says, Neither mother nor father nor any relative can do one as much good as one's well-directed mind. So oppositely, when, when this mind is, is engaged on a spiritual path, engaged in a direction that we know leads to our liberation. Nothing's more, th that's the most support that we <coughs> can get. And yes, community is very important. Friends are very important to support us. We, we don't um, do this path alone. We, we do this together and we need the support of others. And no one can uh, tread this path for you. Both are true. Again, I have that value, and so when I step, uh, stop, I can begin again. I can begin again by being present to a deeper value of what it is to live in this world.
But as I was saying, just like in these last two days, I need to remember to begin again and again and again, and then to listen, to listen to what's there. I want to take this a step further with all of you, this, this idea of beginning again and to broadly listen. And to say a little more about this broadly listening, both you could say both on this individual level and this collective level, because I think it's intertwined. That when you engage on this spiritual path, when you engage in, in, in meditation, it not only affects your life, but it affects the communities in the world that you live in. One story to help um, elucidate this. A number of years ago, I had a friend who, he purchased this very cool small wood stove. He lives, li lived in a very uh, small place up in the Northwest. And he purchased it and it came to his home, brought it in his home. Next day, he went, in, went to work. And when he got home, he noticed somebody had broken into his house and stole it. It's brand new, it had never been used. So he had this brilliant idea. He looked on Craigslist, <laughs> and voila, there it was. It was being sold on Craigslist. So he called the police. They nabbed the fellow who had stolen it and was trying to sell it, and he was easily convicted. And his local TV station was fascinated. This is quite a few years ago, so they were kind of fascinated that he was able to find the person who robbed his house. So they came and interviewed him. <laughs> And uh, he spent most of the interview, and I remember going over this with him, um, speaking about uh, the, the guy who stole it. And he was really trying to emphasize to them, he said, yeah, I got robbed, but y you need to understand I, can, I, I get where this person was coming from. I've actually been there. And I know how it is to live in a society where it feels like you're not being supported, but actually you're, you're drowning because of the, the societal forces against you. And it, here are these causes and conditions that lead to this kind of behavior. And he, was, he, and, and, and he kind of said, and we're all part of this, that this guy isn't alone, it's because of our economic system, it's because of uh, structures that led, that led him to this. And it wasn't like he was, uh, you know, he was condoning the behavior or that there shouldn't be consequences, but trying to give a different perspective of these kinds of behaviors. And they also asked him about what it was like to, you know, get on Craigslist and, and do that. And uh, uh, so they spoke about that as well. When they aired the interview on the TV show, they completely cut out all of his <laughs> wise compassion towards this person. <coughs> and only spoke about how he looked on Craigslist and he got th the bad guy. That's the narrative, right? Yeah. It's, it's the narrative of not listening. It's the narrative of right and wrong. We're fed it. We're fed it in the news. And then we have these minds that get hooked by such a narrow way of listening rather than a broader way of listening. We see it collectively around race and racism. We can look at these situations like around Eric Garner or Michael Brown and ask who was right and who was wrong. Yet we make, miss the bigger picture of, of dynamics that happen day after day in terms of skin color. 
It's important to broadly listen. It's important because we might miss that conversation that has so much harm when the conversation is narrowed. <coughs> or around uh, uh, what happened in Paris. We can simply get into right and wrong, or we can see the dynamic and the causes and conditions that lead to such violence, not as a way of condoning it, but to actually understand the world that we live in, to understand others that might not think like us. And it's also internally that so often have you noticed where we can have this narrowness of listening something arises that mind of yours that might judge yourself wow i'm no good at this i'm a horrible person i suck <laughs> whatever the narrative is and then all that sometimes arises with the mindfulness practice is trying to push that away rather than to simply see it, oh, this is just a state of mind that arises and passes away. Or the worry or the agitation that arises. <coughs> there can be a pushing away of experience rather than deeply listening to it. And when I say deeply listening to a worry, it's not like I'm getting entangled in what I'm worried about and why I'm worried about it. Sometimes that can be helpful. But it's a deep listening of simply acknowledging, oh, this is worry and the deep sensing into it of, this is what it feels like when worrying is happening. That's radically different, because I, then I'm noticing it. I'm not as entangled by it. There's a noticing it without being entangled in it. It opens up this quality of being with, being present to it, a broad listening rather than an entangled listening. <coughs> it's not figuring out if worrying is right or wrong. It's just noticing, this is what the mind is doing right now. Oh, interesting. Worry. Worry is arising not right, right now. It's just like this. There's an agitation in my stomach. Oh, let me see if I can feel this. Oh, then there's some judging that happens. Oh, I shouldn't be worrying. There's some thought that arises that says I shouldn't be worrying. Oh, interesting. There's a not liking the worrying. Oh, then that arises. Then it passes away and I come back to the feeling of my breathing. It's the noticing of experience. Do you hear the broadness of that rather than the narrowness of entanglement? again from the Dhammapada. The Buddha says, let go of the past. Let go of the future. Let go of the present. <coughs> Gone beyond becoming. With the mind released in every way. So let go of the past let go of the future, let go of the present, gone beyond becoming, with the mind released in every way. <coughs> Literally, in, in Pali, Pali, the early scriptural language of Buddhism, Pali is the, the language that the Dhammapada is um, written in. Literally, those first, the first phrase is, let go in front, let go behind 
and let go in between, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting, which gives a different sense of it that, that I am not entangled with anything that's around me whatsoever, a freedom. And then this phrase, gone beyond becoming, gone beyond these entanglements. A mind that is released, a mind that is free. (coughs) This is the direction of of a spiritual path. When we begin to see how the mind functions, we begin to see it, and then there's a letting go that begins to happen. So we can freely move in this world, so we can freely respond to it. A release, a fluidity. So uh, in just a few minutes, we'll begin the sitting meditation. So you might want to stand up and move around and stretch. <coughs> and I invite you to practice these two things, the, this, this practice of beginning again. You might notice in the next half hour that your mind might get lost in thought. <laughs> I know, it's surprising. (laughs) Maybe just a couple of you. It might happen every five minutes, every minute, every 30 seconds. (coughs) Can you be willing to have the willingness to begin again? To come back and notice, maybe come back to the breath. And then also, though, to have this um, quality of broad listening, and the way I want to contextualize it for our meditation is that uh, sometimes when I notice the mind is lost in thought, I can notice it, but then I can come back to the breath where there's this rigidity of, I should only pay attention to the breath and nothing else. And meditation could be like we're desperately trying to hold on to the breath and trying to get all of uh, the rest of experience out of our experience. That's not broadly listening. When my mind gets lost in thought, what an interesting thing. Can you notice what's going on during that time? Oh, planning. Oh, remembering. I find it helpful to name it, to (coughs) label it. Worry. Oh, remembering. There might be a quality. Oh, sleepiness. (coughs) Agitation. Hearing. Sound. And then you might notice an image. Did you notice a small image of a a dog's tail? (laughs) It can happen so quickly. But you don't notice those things if you're desperately trying to cling on to the breath. Those experiences, too, are just as valid as the breath because we're simply trying to notice what's going on. 